Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Luke Martin, in for Nomeen Ujiadeen. It's Thursday, December 22nd. Coming up, the state of Kansas rewards nursing facilities for creating a home-like environment The critics say people in charge of those tax dollars don't weed out facilities with a history of neglect. There is a push to appease the business side of this industry versus the human service side of this industry. We'll find out why critics say the state is failing to adequately regulate the long-term care industry, and we'll get a roundup of what we know about the Keystone Pipeline leak in Washington County, Kansas. But first, some headlines. Kansas City area homeless shelters are struggling to support an influx of residents as temperatures drop below zero. Many shelters are already at capacity and are referring residents elsewhere. Stephanie Boyer is executive director of Restart, Inc., a leading resource for the homeless community. She says they're seeing an increase in families seeking shelter. We're continuing to get more and more calls from families, um, and we know there are definitely not enough, you know, beds available across the city for families. So that is a worry. Boyer says one of the best ways to help homeless people during winter weather is by donating gloves, hats, and winter coats to organizations that support them. High school seniors in Lansing, Kansas, will no longer have a unit on social justice in their English curriculum after the school board voted last week to remove it. KCUR's Madeline Fox reports the move follows one parent's complaint. Parent Kirsten Workman alleged that the curriculum indoctrinates students. It includes movie clips and essays about the criminalization of African Americans, violence against LGBTQ people, and feminism. A review committee of staff, community members, and students found the material was age-appropriate and recommended keeping it. Lansing High senior Mikiel Owens told board members the class helped her develop critical thinking skills and media literacy. How to find media sources and outlets that are credible so that we can practice that in our own essays and in the real world. The board voted 4-3 to three to remove the social justice unit from the curriculum, overruling the committee's recommendation. Yesterday, former Kansas City, Kansas police detective Roger Golubsky asked a judge to be released from home detention. KCUR's Peggy Lowe reports. Golubsky was placed on home detention with electronic monitoring in September, just days after he was indicted by federal prosecutors for rape, kidnapping, and later sex trafficking. He's now filed a motion calling the allegations against him incredibly suspicious and uncooperated. And he says the FBI was handed a case by Lamont McIntyre's lawyers back when they were creating a media frenzy in hopes of getting a multi-million dollar settlement from Wyandotte County. In fact, Golubsky says he's living an ordinary life as a retiree who goes to his medical appointments. McIntyre's lawyer declined to comment on Golubsky's motion. This is Kansas City Today. We'll be right back. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org radioactive. 
Critics say a culture of neglect at some nursing homes in Kansas puts residents in danger, even at facilities that get tax money for ostensibly providing more thoughtful care. Rose Conlon of the Kansas News Service reports on accusations that regulators fail to protect some of the state's most vulnerable people. Throughout the pandemic, Tammy Neer could only visit her longtime boyfriend, Miguel Ornelas, through a window for most of his 16-month stay at Advina Living on Woodlawn. When she finally got inside the Wichita nursing home, she was shocked. He was laying in bed with nothing but a diaper on. He hadn't been bathed in I don't know how long. His toenails hadn't been clipped, it looked like, in a year. And he was laying in a puddle of urine and feces. Larry Cundiff says the care his wife of 55 years, Phyllis, got after Edvina bought the Clearwater, Kansas nursing home where she lived for six years left her miserable. One evening, she called me. She was crying. They were supposed to have changed her catheter. It was leaking again. And the lady that was going to change it, she got busy and went home. And yet six of Edvina's seven homes participate in a state program designed to reward nursing homes for excellence in providing, quote, person-centered care. That program has doled out more than $15 million in Medicaid incentives across Kansas in the last decade. It's really about helping homes change their service model so that it can be individualized to each person and they can provide services around what that person wants. That's an ad for Promoting Excellent Alternatives in Kansas, or PEAK, which encourages nursing homes to move from a one-size-fits-all model to one that, for instance, lets residents choose when they want to go to bed and what they want to eat for dinner. But the problems at Advina Homes suggest some nursing homes in the PEAK program fail on even basic care. Advina's owners declined to comment on the complaints, but evaluations by regulators show a host of deficiencies across the for-profit chain's seven facilities. Advina's been hit with more than $400,000 in fines in the last three years. Regulators cited the Wichita home for 38 deficiencies over that period, things like bed sores and cockroaches, and a failure to protect female residents from sexual abuse. The Clearwater home had 53 deficiencies over that period. Workers told regulators they were too understaffed to give out medications on time. Some residents went over a month without a bath. Officials say Medicaid payments, including through PEAK, are paused when federal guidelines require. Advena's Clearwater location is currently receiving PEAK incentives, but payments to the Wichita location are paused due to deficiency surveys. And PEAK coordinator Lacey Cornelson says there's value in less-than-perfect homes participating in the program. So we do want homes that don't have good quality in our program so they can learn how to improve their quality. But Camille Russell, the state's ombudsman for long-term care, thinks the program shouldn't give facilities incentive money before they've made any improvements, as it currently does. And she says it can't overcome chronic problems in the industry, like a longtime trend of nursing home operators trying to save money by hiring dangerously few workers. They're so rushed, they are giving the wrong medicine. I mean, they're making these mistakes that can even be life-threatening because there's not enough of them. And this was prior to the pandemic. Administrators say they can't find enough people willing to do the often demanding work of caring for the elderly. Critics say that's because of low pay and untenable working conditions. The tension is unique to neither Advina nor Kansas. Still, Russell says the issues with PEAK exemplify the state's failure to hold nursing homes accountable. There is a push to appease the business side of this industry 
versus the human service side of this industry. And the regulations that exist are not enforced. And it is primarily due to the fact that there are not enough resources to do so. She says it's nursing home residents who pay the price. It may be somebody else today, but it's, it's, it's me tomorrow, it's you tomorrow. We all will suffer. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Rose Conlin in Wichita. The Keystone Pipeline break in north-central Kansas didn't spill regular crude oil. It spilled a product of the Canadian tar sands, a product that gets harder and harder to clean up each day that passes. Kansas News Service reporters Celia Yopis-Jepson and Blaze Messat review what we've learned about the spill. Celia, it's been about two weeks since the oil spill in Washington County near the Nebraska border. This is the Keystone's biggest spill. What have we learned? Yeah, let's start with the volume of the spill. It is estimated by the company at just under 600,000 gallons or 14,000 barrels. And the company that operates the pipeline says about half of that oil has been recovered so far. State officials say the oil that spilled coated five acres of land and that TC Energy stripped topsoil off that land pretty fast. But the oil also dumped into a stream. So they're trying to clean about four miles of Mill Creek. TC Energy insists that the spill is contained at those four miles, but state officials say that some chemicals from the oil spill have traveled farther than that, such as benzene. The levels right now aren't enough for acute impact on wildlife uh, downstream, but the state says that there is a threat to wildlife consuming these contaminants uh, through the food chain. The oil that spilled wasn't normal crude oil. Tell us about Dilbit. Dilbit stands for diluted bitumen. Basically, it's Canadian tar sands oil. Bitumen is, it's way too thick to travel through pipelines. So oil companies dilute it with volatile compounds to send it from Canada down through the Keystone Pipeline, for example. But if a pipe breaks, as happened here, and the stuff escapes, the additives evaporate and this diluted bitumen goes back to being this super thick goop that it was originally. Here's Steve Hamilton. He's a biologist at Michigan State University who advised the Environmental Protection Agency on a major Dilbit spill into the Kalamazoo River. And he says this stuff is super sticky. Oh, yes. Yes. You know, it's almost impossible to clean from surfaces. You know, we tried like hot water sprays and detergent and so on. So he says it proved easier to just haul away the rocks and things that were covered in Dilbit than to try to get the stuff off. The Kalamazoo River spill in 2010 was the country's biggest Dilbit spill so far, and it took four years to clean up. And that's because Dilbit sinks? Yes, that is the key thing to keep in mind here. Crude oil floats, but when the additives in Dilbit evaporate, it just doesn't behave like crude oil anymore. And this really shocked the public after the Kalamazoo River spill. Um, Here's Hamilton again. And it ultimately took four years to clean up the Kalamazoo River spill. And you could argue that three and three quarters of those years were all about submerged oil. So that's the thing. Techniques for cleaning up oil spills normally deal with floating oil. 
So Congress ordered a report on Dilbit and what to do about it. Uh, tell us about what the National Academy of Sciences concluded in 2016. What the academies found is that Dilbit starts this gradual sinking process and it can start within days. And because of the way it mixes with the water and other particles at that point, it's kind of a nightmare. You, you can't really detect it, contain it, or clean it up easily at that point. Here's a quote from the report. In situations where water is moving, there are no proven techniques for containment. Um, so here they're talking about once the oil starts sinking below the surface. And it goes on to say, various techniques have been proposed, but few have been shown to be effective. So the scientists that wrote this report asked the U.S. Department of Transportation to change certain regulations to reflect this so that planning and responding to Dilbit spills in the future would improve. But those regulations never changed. So what is TC Energy doing to contain the Dilbit that spilled in Kansas? Well, that's the million-dollar question. The company says that the Dilbit is contained in a four-mile stretch of the stream, but the oil is blocked at the surface. Water is still flowing downstream below the surface. We've asked TC Energy and the EPA repeatedly how they know that the Dilbit is contained since we know that Dilbit travels below water surfaces, but we aren't getting answers and reporters aren't allowed to visit the site. And state lawmakers can't visit either? That's right. And one of those lawmakers, Ree Shu, he's from Johnson County, attended a briefing this week, but not at the site. And he told me afterwards that TC Energy is saying the Dilbit hasn't started sinking below the surface yet, which would be good news. But here's the thing. Shu said that TC Energy didn't offer any evidence for what it's saying, and he's frustrated with how controlled and limited information has been. The public is already skeptical enough of these pipeline projects being implemented they're doubly or triply or quadruply so when, when a spill actually happens. So it being so, so tightly constrained um, is not best for, for the people of Kansas. What details do we want to know? We want to know if TC Energy or the EPA are using the techniques that scientists leaned on in Michigan to check for Dilbit migration or else what other techniques they're employing here. Okay, now let's talk about wildlife. Is the oil spill killing animals? At this point, we know that one beaver has died, three other mammals of some kind, um, dozens of fish. And do we know what caused this spill? We don't know yet. The federal government set a deadline of three months for a third-party report on what happened. And we know that part of the broken pipeline has been cut off and sent for testing this week. Now, federal data show that TC Energy pipeline spills have repeatedly been caused by materials issues, corrosion issues, but we don't know if that's what happened here. We also know the Keystone was operating at a higher pressure than is normally allowed for oil pipelines. Is that right? Well, we know that the U.S. Department of Transportation gave TC Energy permission uh, back in 2017 to operate stretches of the Keystone at a higher pressure because the steel used for it was supposed to be able to handle that. Now, if the segment in Washington County was operating at that higher pressure, experts tell me that would likely mean that when the pipe burst, oil rushed out faster. Thanks for the update, Celia. Thank you, Blaze. That was Celia Yopis Jepson and Blaze Mesa. The Kansas News Service, based at KCUR, reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. For more, check out ksnewsservice.org.
This is Kansas City Today. I'm Luke Martin, in for Nomeen Ujiadeen. This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Trevor Grandin, and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For photos of that oil spill in Washington County and the latest on the winter weather that's chilling Kansas City to the bone, visit kcur.org. Tomorrow, we visit an iconic bakery that started in the heart of the Croatian community in Kansas City, Kansas's Strawberry Hill. Thanks for listening.